0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Zakin Greenberg. Dr. Zaken Greenberg graduated with a PhD in Counseling Psychology from the University of Florida in 1985. She completed a postdoctoral fellowship in neuropsychology in 1986 from the Eastern Pennsylvania Psychiatric Institute of the Medical College of Pennsylvania. In 1987, she completed a postdoctoral fellowship in cognitive therapy at the Center for Cognitive Therapy at the University of Pennsylvania. She was co-owner and clinical director of the Florida Center for Cognitive Therapy from 1987 through 2019, and is now a staff psychologist at Cognitive Behavioral Associates in Beverly Hills. Today, we talk about social anxiety disorder and her approach to treatment for this treatable condition. Welcome, Dr. Zakin Greenberg. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm honored to have on as our guest, Dr. Flora Zakin-Greenberg. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So I know you are a specialist in anxiety disorders and CBT and treating social anxiety disorder, and I know that's the topic we're going to talk about today.
1: Yes. I actually love treating social anxiety because it's pretty easy to treat. And oftentimes for the person who's coming in, especially if it's their first time in therapy, they're usually kind of amazed at how smoothly it goes. Why do you think it's so easy to treat?
0: You compare it to other anxiety disorders specifically or?
1: Well, the reason I find it easy to treat is because if you start with the premise that, okay, I'm I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm awkward. I'm afraid that I don't know what to do. I'm afraid that people won't like me. Using cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, we're collecting all these thoughts and we're looking at these thoughts of where did you learn these? How did you learn these? How were these reinforced? Let's set up some information for you, some experiments for you, and let's see if this is really true. And of course, usually it's not.
0: Hmm. And I guess maybe we should rewind and we can maybe define what social anxiety disorder is.
1: So that's when someone experiences persistent feelings of worry or nervousness and may actually dread any kind of social interaction. It can be very mild to, I don't want to go to the office party and it can be severe too. I don't want to go to the grocery store because I have to talk to the checkout person.
0: Right. So I'm curious. So the standard of care is cognitive behavioral therapy for social anxiety disorder, right? Yes. Okay. Can you give us a little bit of a glimpse into what that is and what the process is and what maybe someone who has social anxiety, what they would expect from that kind of treatment?
1: Absolutely. So first is coming in for an assessment to see if you truly have social anxiety, or do you have some other anxiety, or do you have a combination thereof? And we need to be aware of that. But if it's strictly social anxiety, typically what we do is we set up a program with the patient. What goals do they have? What do they want to experience? What do they want to have different? What are their biggest fears? You know, have these fears come true or are these fears that they think might come true? So they're behaving in such a way that they don't. And we lay out layers in the therapy. So first we help them learn how to relax, how to meditate, how to ground their body, we give them exercises to do that. are Very simple, very easy and don't take much time. And then we set up other types of information for them to be able to use so that they're not so fixated on themselves.
0: When would someone maybe think about treatment for this sort
1: of issue? When they feel that it's impacted their life, when they feel paralyzed, when they feel like they're missing out, Mm. when they feel like they're not connecting with people because of their fear, they really would like
0: to, but they're so fearful that somebody is just not going to like them. Right. And I'm assuming sometimes other people maybe suggest treatment, but the person also has to be motivated for that type of treatment as well.
1: They have to be motivated. And part of what's difficult for someone in seeking treatment is there's so many therapies out there And so many therapists and it can be overwhelming and they don't know where to start. So we usually meet people when they've already gone through some research or maybe they've tried a therapy that didn't work, or, you know, they've learned that CBT is the gold standard. So they want to try it and they just want something to work. They're at the point now where life is not as enjoyable as it should be.
0: Right. So when we say CBT, I I forget the listener may not know it's cognitive behavioral therapy, Right. So do you want to maybe walk us through maybe a typical patient or case and kind of thinking about how the process might work?
1: Sure, absolutely. So somebody comes in and they say they have anxiety in social situations, and we want to know what kind of social situations. So it might be large gatherings. It might be small gatherings. It might be with strangers, might be with people they know, but they don't know well. or some people... Of a performance slash social anxiety, but they might have to give presentations at work and they don't like the idea that everybody's looking at them while they're giving the presentation and they're afraid of all the things that are going to go wrong and they feel that it's holding them back in their life and they really want to get through it. So that's usually when we meet somebody in therapy. For younger people, because we treat children, I treat children, the parents are noticing that their child is struggling and they don't want their child to have a lifelong struggle, so they bring them in at a younger age. Mm, got it. So what's kind of what a first session maybe look like? So a first session would usually be taking the history of that person, their family background, any mental health issues. Does anxiety run in the family? Do they have anyone else in the family that's experiencing any social anxiety? You know, is it hard for mom or dad or sibling and aunt uncle someone? What kind of messages did they receive growing up about socializing? And what kinds of things have they done on their own to try and overcome it? And through going through all of that, and of course, it takes a lot longer than what you and I are doing right now, because we're spending a good hour getting all of that information, plus they filled out forms, and then we've examined those. We come up with the treatment plan together so that their goals are met.
0: Got it. And also, it sounds like there's some work between sessions as well.
1: Yes. Basically, in addition to teaching them things in session, we're going to give them some homework to do. But these are not difficult homework assignments. We've established those together. So it might involve an exercise where, especially now that we're going into the holidays, where they allow themselves to go to maybe an office lunch. And instead of sitting in the corner, hoping nobody talks to them, the assignment might be pick two people that are safe and go over and say hi, and then see what happens. And in between, we might have them keeping what we call thought sheets, where they're in a situation and they describe the situation, they describe their thoughts, We've taught them to challenge their thoughts, which you and I haven't discussed yet. And then how did they react to the the change in their thinking, what changed shifted for them?
0: Got it. And so it reshapes how they look at the scenario in a way. Right. So take two people.
1: One person goes pre-pandemic to a small party and they're looking forward to meeting new people and just talking and seeing, you know, what people are into and what they're about. The other person is no one's going to like me. So I'm just going to stay here in the corner. I had to be invited because I know this person from work or this is a family member. So I'm going to go, but I'm not going to have a good time because I know no one's going to like me. And because they've isolated themselves and they're not talking to anybody, they leave the party going, see, nobody likes me. And they're so focused on themselves and so focused on their own thoughts that it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And even if someone comes over to talk to them, They're so focused internally on what they're thinking and feeling that they're not fully paying attention to what the other person's saying. Mm. So, one of the exercises we might give them is focus on the other person and then write down two or three things you learned about that person and come back to the session. Tell us what you learned. Tell us what it was like. Tell us what was
0: different. How do we modify this? What do we need to change? Huh. And are there ever times when the person's right?
1: That someone just didn't want to have anything to do with them or didn't like them?
0: I mean, that's the worst fear,
1: right? That they're assuming is the case. So one of the skills that I love to teach patients is one of my favorite skills is that people's reactions are about themselves, even if it's directed toward you or in response to you. So if you just meet someone, they don't know you well enough to like or not like you. And if they're not nice to you, that's not about you. It's about them.
0: Hmm.
1: And we don't know why. We don't know why they landed where they landed. We just know they landed there. but it can't be you. You haven't done anything yet.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's maybe not take things so personally. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Well, how many sessions if someone has kind of mild to moderate social anxiety disorder, how many sessions does it take to really get grounding underneath them to start thinking and behaving in different ways,
1: depending on the person and what else is going on in their life? You know, it could take eight to 10 visits. It could take 10 to 16 or 20 visits. It really just depends on the person.
0: Right. And so it sounds like it's just chipping away at those faulty interpretations of interactions and how they see themselves.
1: Well, it is, but it's, it's even more than that because they have assumptions that are hurting them and they're treating these assumptions as though they're facts. Mm-hmm. And so what we're helping them see is that maybe these assumptions that you think are facts are not really facts, that you don't really have evidence to support it when we look closely and we also teach them what we call cognitive restructuring to be able to take a closer look at what you're saying and to be able to identify where the error in thinking is so that you are now free to have maybe a more authentic set of thoughts that change how you feel and how you interact. That
0: sounds amazing.
1: It is. It's actually a kind of exciting. One of the things that I tell my patients is that how we think affects how we feel and how we act. And how we feel affects how we think and how we act. And how we act affects how we think and how we feel. So the question is, where do we pull the first string? In cognitive behavioral therapy, the first string is, let's look at our thoughts. Let's look at our behaviors. Because if we can change those, we're going to change how we feel. Right. And we then look at, well, how do we act? We can act a little bit differently. That's also going to change how we think, which will change how we feel.
0: Right. Yeah. The cognitive behavioral
1: circle. (laughs) Exactly. It's really about empowerment, Mm -hmm. I think, which is power over self instead of feeling like everyone has power over you.
0: Right. So it sounds like you've seen dramatic shifts in functioning with this model. I have. Yeah. And do people typically, they do their sessions, they learn these different ways of reframing and restructuring, and then they never need to address it ever again, or kind of how, do, how does that usually work? So
1: when I do therapy, I have my patients keep a notebook of just the skills, not, not a journaling notebook. What I tell them is somebody saw your notebook, they think you took notes on YouTube. But we call it the therapy relapse prevention notebook. So you've done your therapy, you're doing well, maybe a year or two later, you're feeling there's a little slippage before you think, oh my goodness, I've lost all my skills. Read your notebook, read your skills, start applying them again. If that works, great. If that doesn't, then give us a call and we'll see if something else is going on. But a lot of times, once somebody reaches the point where they're comfortable, they don't go back. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So in that way, it feels like you are learning these, this new way to approach it. And I understand how you're thinking that social anxiety is an easy thing to treat because it's not something that you have to keep on revisiting in some way. Exactly. Yeah. That's really interesting. How do you see the role of medication in treatment of social anxiety and how that blends with therapy or does it? So
1: Again, it depends on the history of the person. Suppose they have social anxiety, but they also have panic attacks or they have generalized anxiety and they might be on medication. For that, we're not going to say go off the medication and learn these skills. It's going to be learn these skills and maybe learn some additional skills for your general anxiety and then talk with your psychiatrist and see now that you have these skills, are you ready to decrease a little bit on your medication? Can you get off medication completely or can you just be on a lower level of medication, which is fine? It really just depends on the individual person. But if I have someone coming in, they've not been on medication, they haven't seen a psychiatrist, I always say, let's try therapy first. If we do everything we're supposed to do and it doesn't work,
0: we're calling Ew. you. Life hey, well, good to have. <laughs> so, really, it's just so unique to the individual that's coming in. Yeah. The other thing I'm wondering about so you're talking about individual therapy with with clients. What about group therapy? I mean, I've heard of groups for social anxiety disorder. What happens in those groups? And do you think that's helpful?
1: So social anxiety groups are interesting because obviously everyone has a similar goal and a similar experience and you can give them assignments. And as they go out and do their assignments, they can come back and process together as a group. And what's nice is when your peer goes, oh, you did a great job. I see that work. I tried that also. That worked for me. It's a lot of very very intense, rich reinforcement versus your family saying, yeah, you seem to be doing much better. Where <laughs> your therapist going, yeah, you're doing great. But someone else who's actually feels the same kind of thing has so much more validity to what they're saying. Yeah.
0: Do people in groups practice on each other in a way that feels safer, you would think,
1: or? Well, they definitely role-playing group, but of course, even individually you role-play with your therapist. Yeah. For example, I have fun when I get to be the obnoxious person at the party that they're afraid to interact with so they can practice their skill set. And so if they ever do have to deal with going
0: to one of your original questions, a difficult person, they're ready for that person. Yeah. How did this become your specialty? I mean, you talked about kind of there's benefit in this type of therapy because people get better and that probably draws you to this modality. But I mean, I'm curious about how this became your specialty.
1: Well, there's many areas in CPT that I would claim as a specialty because I find that it it just works so effectively with so many areas. But I started getting more and more involved with anxiety in working with children because some children have so much social anxiety and they're so sad about it. And then I realized as I was working with children that people take the sadness about not being able to interact and be comfortable with them into adulthood at all ages and at all levels. So I started seeing the trend and like, oh, well, we can help people that are little and we can help teens. You know what? We could help people in every decade of life be more comfortable with themselves so that they can feel connected to people. Well,
0: it sounds like a rewarding treatment and to be kind of in that clinician role, it's I see what what draws you to it.
1: It is really so amazing when you see someone who first comes in and says, I don't know that this will work for me. Mm -hmm. And then as I like to say, they're starting their stuff at the last session because they just feel so good. And you know what's interesting Mm -hmm. is you can be an extrovert and have performance anxiety. It's not just introverted people Mm -hmm. or shy people. Sometimes extroverted people, they're putting on an act, but they don't feel like they're truly connecting because they're anxious. And for them, it's like, well, what can you teach me that I don't already know? Well, we can teach you to feel what you're showing on the outside inside so that it matches Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: for those people, it doesn't match.
0: Right. Is there anybody who has, I mean, because there's different types of treatment for anxiety disorders thinking about social anxiety specifically, anybody that this type of treatment maybe wouldn't be appropriate for, or is that hard to even come up with someone who wouldn't benefit from this type of therapy?
1: If they have more intense issues, the sole focus isn't going to be on performance anxiety, but it doesn't mean they can't still learn some skills in that area as they're learning skills for other areas as well. So they, again, can feel more empowered and feel like they have more opportunities to have, you know, a fulfilling life connections with people and not feel so, so alone and scared. When people can't connect with other people, they're very scared. Yeah. It's not a good feeling
0: yeah there's meaning and connection and you you know derive a lot of meaning and pleasure from from those connections
1: as we've seen during the pandemic yes and yeah. so many people have been so isolated it's not been
0: a good experience for a lot of people well you bring up a good a good subject matter in terms of thinking about when people are kind of you know, as clinicians, the people we work with who do have social anxiety, the pandemic was almost protective in a way because they Mm -hmm. weren't forced to interact with people, right? And Mm -hmm. have you seen that in your practice, figuring out how people get back into typical interactions and how to get used to that again?
1: I have, you know, what's interesting about that is, so we have people who have social anxiety and as the pandemic restrictions are lifting, they're coming into therapy. Like I don't have an excuse not to deal with this now. Mm -hmm. And I have to go to the office maybe two or three days a week. And I have to interact at a different level or wanting to get those skills. But we're seeing people who did not have any kind of social anxiety feeling a little disconnected. Mm -hmm. How do I do this again? I'm really nervous about this. I feel like I've lost my skills. I've lost my stride. I'm not feeling so confident anymore. Now, they may not need as many sessions as someone who had social anxiety before, but they're finding To
0: have a handful of sessions has been very enriching for them to feel more empowered to get back out. Yeah, I bet. Interesting. Well, I I think this is really helpful just to kind of lay out the process of cognitive behavioral therapy for social anxiety and this treatment that's out there as a real meaningful tool and treatment for people. I'll make sure that in the episode description, we have information about your work and we'll add any additional resources you might want to give to the audience as well. Are there any final words you want to mention before we say goodbye?
1: You don't have to be disconnected. Yeah. You really don't. And we won't push you to go beyond where your comfort level is. We will push you to reach a level that's comfortable for you. Yeah. I think that's a good message. Because I don't want people to ever be afraid to come in.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you, you being on, and I hope that the listener found value in our conversation and can hopefully learn a bit more about this with the resources and the link to your site as well.
1: Well, thank you again for inviting me. I can't yeah. believe that the time went by
0: so fast. I know. We'll take care. You too. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and nine offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe.